Well, if you'll let me go back one more time, I'm going to put these away, all right? You can't ever trust a preacher to keep his word when it comes to ending a series. You can keep his word on everything, but just when he's going to quit preaching, it's just you take that watch off. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. Uh, but uh, this is one that I wanted to to uh, give to you a long time ago, and I just didn't work that way. So we're going to go back. Psalms 118. Psalms 118, verse number 27. We read from it a few weeks ago. I want to go back to it tonight. Then we're going to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, and the seventh verse. Psalms 118, verse number 27, reads like this. God is the Lord which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar. Isaiah chapter 56. Verse number 7. Isaiah prophesying of what was to come, said in the seventh verse of the 56th chapter, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. I want you to underscore those words. He will make them joyful in my house of prayer. You don't have to be afraid of prayer. And you don't have to stay away from prayer because you don't know how to pray. God wants prayer to be a pleasurable, enjoyable, joyful time. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Amen. I love that. Make them joyful in my house of prayer. I want to talk to you tonight about the key to heaven. Amen. Everybody say that with me. The key to heaven. And I hope that I am not being presumptuous, but I do feel like that that is exactly what we have when we understand what I believe the Lord would like for us to know tonight. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When God gave Israel his tabernacle plan, 
The design of the place was particular. It was exact. And Moses was to build it exactly according to his plan. Because that was going to be the meeting place. That was going to be where man and God would connect. It would be where God's will for their life would be fulfilled in many ways. And so the tabernacle and all of its design, its furnishings, material, they were really one sermon, one large sermon from God to his people. Every area of the tabernacle speaks a powerful message. And most importantly, it speaks of God's approved way. If you want access to God, this is how you get it. This is where it's found. And the first thing that you encountered when coming to the tabernacle in the outer court was this the altar, the brazen altar. And it was a very large piece of furniture. It was seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet square, I guess I should say, four feet tall. And it had, it was made of acacia wood and uh, that was a very hardy wood that lived, survived in the desert. It had withstood uh, all kind of adversity and they were to build this altar out of uh, this acacia wood, overlay it with bronze and gold and on the four corners they were to place horns. Now you're going to have to let me use my imagination because I don't have much else to work with tonight so we're just going to pretend that up here's the altar, all right? I should have put this one down first. I think that's about seven and a half feet. Brother Buddy, does that look seven and a half feet to you? Looks like about seven foot six, doesn't it? He's my favorite helper. All right. These are the four corners. And if you could imagine these four corners, there were something that looked like the horn of an oxen or uh, whatever. And that was where they came. Every time they came to church, that's the first thing they encountered when they came to church was this altar. It stood about four and a half feet tall. Actually, it was taller. There were steps they had to go up to, but the altar itself was about four and a half feet tall. It was designed for the purpose of receiving the sacrifice. It was a continual burning there. They would take the animals that were brought, they would slit their throats, and they would take the blood, and they would dip it on the four corners, the horns of the altar, and then they would offer that animal as a sacrifice. That was part of their worship. That was part of their connection to God. That was part of what God wanted them to Uh, participate in on a regular basis. And so this first point of contact when they came was an altar and it was a place of meeting. 
And it was the way into the presence of God because past that into another part uh, of the, the tabernacle was the altar of incense and there was the, show, the table of showbread and the golden candlesticks. And then behind that there was this veil, a curtain that went across the entire back portion of the tabernacle. And behind that was the Ark of the Covenant. That was the Holy of Holies. That's where the Shekinah glory was. That's where the priest would go once a year and uh, he would minister. It was for the priest alone to go into that sacred place. But if a man came to this altar by, by a priest taking uh, the, the, the sacrifice and moving with the blood beyond, he could in extension go into that inner court and by vicarious method he could uh, experience the presence of God in uh, a roundabout way. And uh, it's important that we never forget that. If you want to get into the presence of God, it always comes first by way of the altar. Don't ever forget that. Isn't it great that when the Lord hung between heaven and earth, the Bible said that that veil was rent from top to bottom so that we don't have to go through a priest any longer. We can go boldly ourselves before the throne of God to make our requests and our needs known. Isn't it great that you don't have to wait one time a year to experience the presence of God or to feel the touch of God, but anytime you want to, you can lift your hands, you can pray and worship Him and actually get, you, you move into that divine presence and that Shekinah glory. And we experience that around here Sunday night. Amen. What a great thing. If you want into the presence of God, though, you're going to have to come by way of the altar. And it should be a reminder to us that nothing of any real value or importance can be found without an altar experience. And uh, the four corners of that uh, were, were crucial. And when the psalmist was considering so many things in relationship to the people of God, there was this idea, this uh, something that he had seen in his experience that reminded him of something that he wanted to share, and that was the tying of the sacrifice to the four corners of, of the altar. And it was that reference that got, to, got my mind uh, moving back several months ago that actually I think was the beginning of the, the series of the keys that we've been on for so long. But I, I believe that one thing that the altar intimates is prayer. I believe that one of the things that we can uh, use as a, uh, or we can, we can visualize it as a type, the altar is a place of prayer. It is a place of communion. And that altar is the key to heaven. It's the key to the presence of God. It's 
a key to all that heaven represents. And, and it is a privilege of ours to be able to experience that and have the freedom to uh, know the power of God, not through some secondary source or some third party, but personally, intimately. I can know the power and the presence and the touch of God upon my life. And much of that can be discovered through the avenue of prayer. Amen. Prayer. Everybody say prayer. Prayer is such a vital part of our experience and our journey. And prayer was so vital that many times over in Scripture we are admonished to pray and we are reminded of the power of prayer. He said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. But prayer is such an important part. And Jesus spoke so often of prayer. He said things like, men ought always to pray. He said, when you pray, not if you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. That is a supposition that you're supposed to be praying always. As often as you pray, he said. And then he reminded them of what the prophet Isaiah had written that we read from, that my house shall be called a house not of praise, but a house of prayer. Amen. And then the writers of the New Testament picked up the pen and Paul said, praying always. Pray without ceasing. So again, underlining and underscoring the importance of prayer. Not only did Jesus speak often about prayer, but he himself prayed. And you will find that uh, many times he would, he would leave his disciples and go away into the mountains or what many historians say was, the, was Gethsemane. Before Gethsemane experience even came, he came to that garden to pray. And he challenged us in our own minds and in our own hearts, that we would believe and pray, that we would expect something to happen. And he would say things like, that if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, or you shall pray, and this is what will happen. Be thou removed. And the key to speaking to the mountain, to the impossibility was the confidence that God could do what you were saying. Amen. You see, prayer is not about us. Prayer is us simply connecting to what God is willing to do. And it is getting into an alignment and an agreement with Him that will help us see His power and purpose fulfilled in our life. And we, if we're going to pray effectively, I think all of us understand that you have to be confident in prayer. You, you cannot waver, you cannot vacillate, but there has to be a confidence, or your prayer will not get beyond this room. But having confidence in prayer 
is often what most of us struggle with. It's not that we don't pray, but we are ineffective in our prayer because many times we lack the confidence of what we are speaking or what the outcome of what we are praying about will even come to pass. I believe that the altar of prayer is often the neglected part of our life because we are intimidated by our own shortcomings, that we lack something or we don't know enough to really pray effectively and we don't, we don't have a close enough experience with God to be as powerful in prayer as some other person is. And so we discount our prayer and we act as if our prayer is a secondary prayer or it, it, it doesn't measure up on the scale of other prayers. And, and so when we pray, we do not pray with confidence that anything's really going to happen. We're just kind of like throwing darts at a board hoping that we get the target. We're like Charlie Brown was. He would he was out in his backyard with the bow and arrow, and he would shoot the bow at the fence, and then he would run over and draw a circle around it. because That's the only way he could hit the bullseye. And sometimes that's the way we pray. We just shoot these arrows, and then we run out there and try to draw an imaginary target around and say, that's what we were aiming. And, and yet we know that that's not effective prayer. We know that that's really probably not going to accomplish much. And I believe that the reason that we are often intimidated by prayer is because we don't fully understand prayer. And maybe I shouldn't say that. It's maybe it's not understanding prayer, but maybe we don't understand an aspect of prayer that would help us. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. The point for you and I to remember tonight is that God wants you and I to succeed in prayer. You say, how do you know that? Because I know God well enough to know this. He will not ask me to do something that I am incapable of doing. And so he will not say pray if I'm not capable of praying. He would not ask me to do something knowing all the time that I don't have the tools or the knowledge or the wisdom to know how to do that. So the mere fact that he would say to us, pray always. Not if you're the pastor or if you've lived for God for 10 years or you have read all the books of the Bible or you know how to quote all the books of the Bible or whether you know all of the protocols of, uh, of doctrine and, and all of those things. But he said pray. Pray often. Pray out loud. Pray privately in your closet. Pray corporately. But pray. Everybody pray. So if God asked me to do that, there's an underlying understanding that evidently God knows that I can. Now, Luke 12 and 32, Jesus said this, It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure. Good pleasure means to think well of or to approve or to affirm a person or to think good or to be well pleased or willing or enjoy doing what someone is asking. 
It is your father's desire. It is what pleases him is to give you the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom, the purpose of the, the power of the kingdom, the riches of his kingdom. It's your father's good pleasure. It was the intended meaning of delight. The Lord delights in doing that. He delights in answering our prayer. Now, some of you may not believe that tonight, but he does delight in answering your prayer. So you don't need to be intimidated by prayer, and you don't need to feel like your prayers don't matter. You need to boldly lay hold of God's promises through prayer, understanding that prayer is not about your power, it's about His power. It's not about your ability. You know, we feel like, well, I don't know how to pray. I've heard people tell others, and and I've heard them say it even uh, in this church, well, I, I don't really know how to pray. I don't know what to say. You don't have to really know everything to say. If you'll just say something, it's not what you say that makes any difference. It's who you're saying it to that makes the difference. And so sometimes we discount our prayer and we don't pray. We just say, well, I really don't know how, so we don't pray. That's why some of you... Don't come on Saturday night to prayer because you you don't know how to pray for an hour. Well, I'm not asking you to pray for an hour. Just talk to him for 10 minutes. But talk to him. Open your mouth and speak to him like I'm not maybe not as loud as I'm talking to you right now, but talk to him. Talk to him like you would a friend. Talk to him like you would someone who cares about you. Isn't it amazing that people will go in and sit down at a doctor that doesn't really know anything about them and they'll spill their guts and tell every ache and pain and sorrow and problem and yet when they come into the presence of God, we don't know how to talk to God who created us and loves us and wants to bless us and wants to pour out his blessings in our life. Something has to change up here about our concept of what goes on in this house. God is interested in us and he wants to bless us. And so we need to boldly lay hold of those promises because that's what he wants us to do. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How many of you have grandkids? Oh, yes. Yes. How many of you enjoy when you give your grandkids something, watching the delight of them receive that? Isn't that it doesn't matter if it's a $5 gift or a $50 gift or $500. It's not the amount. It's to see that response and the joy that comes to their face knowing that you cared enough to do that And that pleasure that you feel is the same pleasure that God feels when we come before him and we say, God, I love you. I thank you for today. I don't know how to live without you. I can't make it through another day. I can't live without you. I need you to touch my family. That does God good. There's a pleasure that comes to him because we are we are willing to open our hearts and our lives. to, And because of that, he's willing to give back to us. And so he said, boldly, when we connect our prayers, when we connect our words, 
what we say to the power and promise of God, something powerful always happens. Amen. And yet prayer remains one of the most intimidating subjects that involves our spiritual life. If I were to take a a, a secret ballot tonight and I were to ask you to rate your strongest point spiritually and your weakest point spiritually, I would dare say, just knowing the 20-something years of pastoring and 50 years of ministry, I would dare say that the number one thing that we would put at the bottom of the list would be our prayer life. We don't feel like it's as effective as it could be or should be. We don't feel like we accomplish much when we pray. And so the prayer has become a daunting task to so many of us because we make prayer about us. And prayer is not about us. It's about us connecting to His promises or us connecting to His power or us connecting to His Word that He has given us. And when we connect our lives to that Word, something happens. What do you, what, what do you think happened when you came to an altar and you repented of your sins and when you got through repenting, there was this wash. There was like something purified, just washed all over you. Something clean just came all over you. And the next thing you know, you're speaking in other tongues and you don't even know where that came from. That's the experience of exchange that God wants to make. You come with what you can and he'll come with what he can. Amen. And so when we come and we pray and we talk to Him and we commune with Him, we are connecting to His power. And so prayer is not about us. It's about Him. It's about getting in alignment or getting connected to Him so that the power of heaven, the riches of heaven, the glory of heaven, the glory of that that. that that secret place can come flowing into our lives. That's what prayer is really all about. Anyone who feels like they have the most powerful prayer life, I haven't met them yet. I've not met anybody that feels like they have the most power. Because we all feel like in some way that we're not quite enough. I think we struggle with prayer in that we do not fully understand what makes prayer successful and what makes praying work. And I hope I can give you four things tonight that may change your mind about prayer. You see, having confidence when you pray is the key to effectiveness. James says you have not because you ask not. Matthew eleven twenty four says, Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. But how often do we pray not expecting anything to come out of what we pray? Because we feel like our prayers don't matter. Our prayers are not sufficient. And there again, we make prayer about us, not about Him. James 5 and 15 says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. He goes on to say that the effectual 
fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So if you're going to have any kind of success in prayer, if I'm going to have success in prayer, it's going to have to involve some level of confidence that what I'm saying and what I'm praying is, is getting through to somebody who cares about me and that is interested in me and that will help me when I open that door and let him come into my life. And I do that when I pray. Now, I want to help you tonight with your prayer. I want to help all of us. It's helped me just thinking about these things for the last few months. It gives you a new boldness when you go to prayer. And I want to help boast your confidence or boost your confidence. Somehow give you an, an attitude that when you go to prayer, you're not intimidated. Or when you go to prayer, you're not overwhelmed. Or when you go to prayer, you're trying to find the right words. And, and, and you go through the whole vocabulary and you try to pick out the right words thinking that if I say this word, that it'll get God's attention. Or if I pray like Brother Hughes prays or I pray like Sister so-and-so prays, that I'll get through to God and the reality is you don't have to say anything I say if you can get through to God I remember I've I've told you this I'll never forget a revival in East Texas we had some uh, bikers that came to the revival and I mean hardcore bikers tattoos, long hair dirty dress uh, didn't smell like they'd had baths in a while but God got a hold of them, and they started receiving the Holy Ghost. We started baptizing them. And I'll never forget, here's this old staid church. they probably been in East Texas for 60 years. Everybody knows how to say hallelujah and praise the Lord and glory to God. And here, this old biker, he's rough as a corn cob. He didn't know anything about the king's English. He didn't know anything about church protocol. He just throws his old rough hands up and he said, Praise Jesus! Praise Jesus! And that rubbed some of those poor folks further the wrong way. They got offended. They couldn't even pray anymore because this guy was violating proper prayer. But you know what I watched? I watched that guy say, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And the next time he opened his mouth, it wasn't praise Jesus. It was a language that he didn't know and I didn't know. And all those staid, starchy folks that didn't think he was saying the proper church English. Because you don't have to use my words to pray. You don't have to use somebody. You can use your words as long as they're coming from the heart and they're sincere and they're effective. They're, 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 they're deep. There's no shallowness to us. And so I, I want to try to change your thinking about prayer tonight and the way you approach prayer. Hopefully, how you pray in the future will be affected I hope you don't ever forget this not because I'm preaching some great sermon but because uh, I need some help up here this didn't get cut can you get me a knife 
Here we are again having a snap. I should, my helper was not here tonight. Brother Land and Sister Sarah's on a little trip, and I'm glad they are, but I missed him tonight. I need this cut. Hey, Amen. I need four strings. Can you cut that one? Hey, Amen. One more time. That's two. Give me one more. Thank you, sir. All right. Now, we're going to talk about the key to effective prayer. Are you ready after all these things? Four corners of the altar. This is what the Lord started talking to me about several months ago. That those horns that were there were for the purpose of tying the sacrifice to. And when I read that, I thought, Lord, what is it? that I can tie my prayer to so that it will not get away from that altar and it will fulfill its purpose. And the Lord began to talk to me about four things that you can tie your prayer to that will make prayer work for you. Are you ready? All right. Get your Bibles open. We're going to take a little journey. First chapter I want you to turn to is Genesis Chapter 32, and I want you to look at verse number 12. Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 12. And I want you to mark this in your Bible. I want you to put the first step to effective prayer. This is what you tie your prayer to when you pray. This is what it says, Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 12. This is Jacob praying. This is Jacob talking to God. He was on the other side of the brook Jabbok, and Esau, his brother, was coming to meet him. The last time he had seen Esau, Esau said, I'm going to kill you for taking my birthright. He's been gone from home for years. Now he's decided it's time to come home. And he's afraid of the encounter that's going to take place when Esau shows up. And so he stays behind and he prays. And this is what he prays. And he said, and thou saidest. This is Jacob talking to God. And thou saidest. You said this, God. So... Jacob is reminding God of what he had previously said about him. I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So when Jacob came to the altar of prayer, The thing that he tied his prayer to and the faith and the hope of its expected end was the faithfulness of God to keep the word that he had committed to him a long time ago. So the first horn of that altar that you can tie your prayer to is God's faithfulness. Say that with me. God's faithfulness. That's why Jacob could say, I didn't say this. God, you said this to me. And you said that you were going to bless me and my seed 
and you are going to multiply that. And so I am calling to account your faithfulness to keep your word. And that's what I'm standing on. That's where my hope is. That is where my faith is right now, is that you are going to keep the word that you have spoken. The attribute of God's faithfulness is a perfect place to tie your prayer when you come to prayer. In that God is faithful and just to forgive. And that God is faithful to keep his word. And that God is faithful to do what he has promised that he would do. The faithfulness of God can be defined as this. A determined loyalty to a gracious covenant. That's what one writer said. It is a determined loyalty to a covenant. That when you come to prayer. You can tie your prayer on to God's faithfulness and say it's not because of what I'm saying. It's not because of my years of prayer. It's not because I have the proper English or I know the proper verb or I know the proper way to say it or how to present my need. But what I am tying my prayer to is the fact that you are faithful, that you change not That in you is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That what you were, you still are. And what you are, you shall be. So that wherever I am, from the past to my future, God is always the same. So when we come to God in prayer, we tie our prayer to His faithfulness, His dependability, His loyalty, His stability. It denotes a firmness of God in his relationship to man. It is his will to do that for you. It is God's unchangeableness. Faithfulness to his word. Faithfulness to his covenant. Faithfulness to whatever he has spoken. Whatever God has said he will bring to pass. Read Psalms 89, read Psalms 119, and they will reiterate to you that God is the faithful God who keeps covenant to a thousand generations. So when you begin to pray, don't let your prayer get wrapped up in what you can or cannot do or how close you think you're walking to God, or how long you've been walking with Him, you tie your prayer to His faithfulness, that He is the same yesterday and today and forever, that He does not lie, He doesn't know how to lie, He doesn't know how to tell a lie, He has never known a lie, because He is true. The attribute of God's faithfulness is what I stand on here tonight. And when Jacob wanted to see his life extended, the only thing he knew that was stable enough to save him was not his track record. It wasn't his skill or his knowledge or his ability to outmaneuver or outwit somebody. That had already run out. What he had been able to lie and cheat and connive and get his way through, it had come to an end. And he realized the only thing I can tie my future to is God's faithfulness. 
that he'll keep his covenant to a thousand generations. Now, I don't know how many generations have been on the earth since the beginning of time, but I still think there's a few more to come before God comes to the end. And really, it wasn't a number, a thousand. It was just a term of longevity that however long, long is, God said, I'm going to keep my word. You can count. That's what you can count on. Is that So when you pray, you're not counting on your word. You're not counting on what you're saying. You're counting. You're standing on what I've said. You're using this. That's why when Sister Magruder was sick with cancer, she said every day she would go in and put her Bible, and I'm not being disrespectful, but she said I would stand on that Bible, and I would say, God, you're the God of that word and that word says that by your stripes I am healed and that word says and she said day after day I would stand on that word and when the doctors looked at me and shook their head said I can't understand I don't know where it went I don't know what happened but what was there is not there anymore it was because of God who is able to keep his covenant to a thousand generations and when you pray you don't need to pray based Based on what you can do, you need to pray based on what he can do. Amen. Stand on his word. It's what Solomon called to God's reminding. He pleaded with God to remember the word which he had spoken to his father David to bless that place. And when a man gives a promissory note, it is his honor to employ it. And when he signs his name, he discharges his his will, and when it comes due, it is his responsibility to fulfill that obligation or he's a liar. And the Bible says, God cannot lie. So when he makes a promise, so when he makes a promise, say it with me, so when he makes a promise, he keeps his promise. So when you go to prayer, quit worrying and struggling with, well, I don't have enough words to say. Just say the same thing over and over again if you have to. But don't let your confidence be in what you're saying. Let it be in the one you're saying it to. God, you have said, I'm standing on what you said. Read that word to him. Read it out loud to him. I've done it many times. I, I've come to places in my life when I didn't even know how to pray. I didn't even know the words to use. And so I just opened his word and I just started reading back to God what he had given me and reminding God, I didn't say this, you said this. I didn't promise that, you promised this. I, I didn't make that commitment, you made that commitment. And that was what helped get me through the trouble I was in. It was not my ability, but it was his ability. It will Never be said of God that he will not keep his word. Never. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you some scriptures. I'm not going to read them, but just write them down. Numbers 23, 19. 1 Samuel 15, 29. Titus 1 and 2. I know you're not writing that fast, but I'm going to give them to you. James 6, 17. Or Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. James 1 and 17. Amen. All of them will remind you that if God gives you a promise, you need not plead if it will come to pass, 
you need to believe it will come to pass. The Lord means to fulfill his promise or he would not have given you the promise. Amen. Somebody said to me before, well, maybe I misunderstood. You don't, God doesn't stammer or stutter like I do. He's very clear in what he says, and he means what he says. So when you go to prayer, forget about your inability. Forget about the fact that you don't really know everything. This is what I've learned about prayer. Prayer will teach you how to pray. That if you'll just start praying, there's something will happen. You will learn more when you pray. But everything you pray has got to be based on one thing, his faithfulness. That it's not about me. It's not about my ability. It's not about whether I can or I can't. It's not about anything to do with my strength or my weakness It has everything to do with who he is. Everybody say you tie it to his faithfulness. That's the first corner of the altar that you tie it to. The second corner of the altar is found in Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 25. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 25, a question is asked. And the question is that he... That, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. This is Abraham praying to the Lord about a city called Sodom. It's just not like you, Lord, to, to slay the righteous with the unrighteous. And he asked this question. And this is the confidence that gave him the boldness to ask God, if there's 50, will you spare Sodom? And what gave him the boldness to ask those things and not only go start with 50, but he got all the way to, God, if you can just find 10. Now, that's pretty bold to start bargaining with God. God, give me 50. No, God, give me 40. No, God, give me 30. If there's 20, if there's 10, He kept going because one thing he knew about God. And that's that last sentence right there. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The second horn of that altar that you can tie your prayer to is God's righteousness. His righteousness. Now, that's a big word, and that, that confuses some of us because that sounds like ecclesiastical stuff. That, that sounds like theological mumbo, and we don't fully understand. But let me give you the interpretation of righteousness. Righteousness is the quality of simply being morally right. God knows what is right. And because he knows what is right, God is always going to do right. So when you go to God in prayer, you tie your prayer off to his righteousness. And you pray with confidence because you know that the God of all the earth will do right. He's going to do what is right. In Christian thought, the idea of righteousness contains both a permanent 
and a changing element. Listen to me. The fixed element is the will to do right. That God has the will. He wants to do. That's what he is. He is righteous. He will do right. Now we get confused about this because we are unrighteous. And we don't always know how to do the right thing. But God is righteous. Which means he always does the right thing. He will never do the wrong thing. So when you pray, you pray with the confidence that God is going to do right. He's going to do the just thing. He's going to do the fair thing. He's going to do the equitable thing. The changing factor in this conception is that what may be right at different times and under different circumstances will change. But the one who knows right will know what is right for the time. And so being and doing right is simply this. It's fair. God's going to do what's fair. It's just God's going to do what's just. It's impartial. God's going to do what's impartial. He's going to do what is reasonable. He's going to do what's even-handed. He's going to do what's unbiased. You know, if we were God, I'll tell you what would happen. There'd be some prayers that we would just push that mute button on no no i tell you what we do it's the same thing that happens on our phone when somebody calls we don't want to talk to we push that in button hang up on them why because we have a bias we have an opinion we have an attitude but god doesn't have that kind of problem he's unbiased which means it doesn't matter If you're the lowest snake in the world, if you open your mouth and you start to pray, God is going to listen because he's unbiased. He's not going to push the end button. Are you getting what I'm saying tonight? Some of you ought to smile right now because sometimes you don't pray because you feel like you failed. I'm unworthy. I don't merit. I'm not doing real good right now. I'm not living for God the way I need to live for God. So I don't pray because I just don't feel like my prayers are going to make any difference. And the reality is your prayer isn't based on what you can do or what you can't do. Your prayers can be tied to one thing, His righteousness, that if you'll pray, God's going to do the right thing concerning you. He's going to do the thing that's going to be best for your life if you'll just pray. Amen. Somebody say his righteousness. Amen. One who is such as he ought to be always, always, the right to to, to be right, rendering to each one his due. I'll give you some scriptures, and if you don't have them, I'll give them to you after church. Deuteronomy 32, 4, Psalm 67, 4. Isaiah 11, 4 and 5, Isaiah 53 and 11, Jeremiah 9, 24. All of them, when you read those scriptures, they will remind you of one thing, that prayer is not about you. It's about His righteousness. It's about His fairness. It's about His even-handedness. It's about His unbiased opinion and attitude that no matter who it is that prays, His ear is there to listen. The third horn that you need to tie your prayer to 
is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you can get that scripture up for me. When you go to prayer, you tie your prayer to that. And he said, and if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons. Underline that in your Bible. Who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, every man's need, every man's position. So when you go to prayer, you tie your prayer to that third corner of that altar and you tie it to God's impartiality. That God is a God of no big eyes and little U's. Well, you know, he's probably going to hear Brother Clyde T. pray more than he's going to hear me because Brother Clyde T. prays more and more and he leads the church in worship and he does this and that. And so we discount our prayer and we put ourselves back on the back row in prayer and we act like when we pray our prayers don't mean anything because we're still making prayer about us. And the reality is that if you'll understand the purpose of the altar was for you to tie your prayer off to something and you're tying it off not to what you can or cannot do, but you're tying it off to his impartiality. That it doesn't matter who you are, rich, poor, good, bad, pretty, ugly, intelligent, ignorant. That when you pray, God's listening to the prayer. He's not listening to your bank account or your Ph.D. or your so-called status, you know, I've been around church 40 years. I've been in the way for 50 years. Yeah, yeah, in the way. It's pretty appropriate terminology for me. I'm not saying that of anybody. I'm just saying that God, when he looks at us, he doesn't look over here and say, oh, this is the holy corner over here because this is where the pastor sits and this is where so-and-so and this is, this is where the real prayer warriors are. This is the holy section. Oh, this is the hot pe- this, 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 the Oh, no, don't sit back there. When you come to God in prayer, you've got to tie yourself to more than personality. Or, 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 or somebody's potential, you've got to tie it to God's impartiality, that he's always listening to whoever calls on him. It doesn't matter if you feel like you measure up or not. If you'll just open your mouth and pray, God said, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm, 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 I'm hearing, and I want to bless you. When you understand that when you pray, God is a God who will be heard by whomever calls. What does he say? Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord. Now, hold on a second, folks. Tighten your seatbelt. Whosoever. You mean whosoever. Now, that's a broad statement. Whosoever. That includes. Well, you know who that includes. You know, I can't call their name, but you know who I'm talking about. Whosoever. 
You mean they can pray? And if they call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved? That's what he said. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord. So it's not for you and I to qualify who comes to the altar and say, well, you know, there they go again. I don't care if they go a hundred thousand times. If they keep going, God is going to hear what they say. Because your prayer is not based on whether you measure up. Your prayer ought to be based on the fact that he's an impartial God. And that whosoever believeth. Whosoever believeth. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. And you say, well, that can't be true. I mean, I thought you had to go through protocol. I thought you had to go through catechism. I thought you had to go through this ritual. I thought you had to go through this class. I thought you had to live for God this many years. I thought you had to give this much money for God to hear your prayer. No, 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 no. You just need to tie your prayers to what really matters. And it's not a checkbook. And it's not your influence or your power or your, your, your smarts or your ignorance. You tie your prayers to his impartiality. That he is a God who hears whoever calls on his name. Whosoever. Say that word. Whosoever. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. Deuteronomy 10, 17. 2 Chronicles 19, 7. Oh, I've got to read this one. I can't just skip over this. I want you to go to Job. I love Job. Job. Chapter 34. And I'm closing. Famous last words, Job chapter 34 and verse number 19. He said, how much less to him, wait, let's go to verse 18. Is it fit to say to a king, thou art wicked, and to a prince, you are ungodly? How much less... To him that accepteth not the persons of princes. Nor regardeth the rich more than the poor. For they are, they all... They all are the work of his hands. Amen. They are all the work of his hands. Amen. Romans 2.10, Acts 10.34, Matthew 22.16. I'm getting to the last horn. Somebody said amen. (laughs) The last thing you want to tie yourself to, your prayer, is found in James chapter 1. It's all right. James chapter 1. Amen. James chapter 1. Last thing you want to tie your prayer to is James chapter 1, verse number 5. And this is what it said. 
He said, let him ask of God that giveth to, there's that word again, all men. Everybody say all men. He giveth to all men according to their merit. Oh, I'm not reading my Bible, am I? I'm not reading your Bible either because that's not what it says. It said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. That means he doesn't chastise you because you've asked. And it shall be given him. This is the last horn that you want to tie your prayer off to. And that is God's liberality. God is not a stingy God. He is not a tight-fisted God. Get this in your mind and understand me tonight. When you come to God in prayer so many times. Brother, brother come here. Help me, Brother Dwayne. I want you to ball your fist up like that. Like he's holding promises in his hand. Now, this is how we come to God in prayer. Like, like we're trying to pull that out of God's hands. Come on, God, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it. And that's the way we pray. Like we're trying to pull something out of God's hands. God's hands are not like this. God's hands are like this. Oh, take, take it, take whatever you want. Whatever you need, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. We're not trying to pull something out of God's hands. We're trying to receive something that God liberally opened his hands up to give to us. So when you come to God in prayer, you need to come to God understanding that he's liberal. And that, listen to me, no need is too great and no need is too small. No need is too trivial. Amen. Mark, or Matthew 7, 7 through 11. John 4, 10. John 15, 7. 1 John 5, 14, 15. They will confirm to you what I'm telling you, that God is impartial God. We're not trying to pull something out of him. He's got his hands open. He's saying, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me, all you that are overworked, burdened, pressure, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Amen. If we could ever understand that about prayer, it would change the way we pray. That we do not tie prayer to what we can do. We tie prayer to four things. We, we tie prayer to his faithfulness. We tie it to his righteousness. We tie it to his liberality. We tie it to his what? His what? His impartiality. That it doesn't matter who I am, where my, my background comes from, my pedigree. It doesn't matter any of that. What matters is that I've come to a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You ever wondered what that power he's talking about? Somebody said, oh, it's the power of the Holy Ghost. No, it's the power of faith 
that when you ask him something, he's going to do it. It's the confidence that when you pray, that God's going to hear your prayer and he's going to answer. Let's stand. Amen.